Today's reading is taken from Psalm 50. It will be read responsively, so I will read the odd verses, and please join me in reading the even verses. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth, from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaimed his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, I kept silent. You thought I was exactly like you. But now I arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rebecca, for reading. And if you don't have the passage in front of you, uh, could I ask that you get it, actually, um, and get it in front of you and keep it in front of you um, as we go through it and make sure that it's God speaking to us through the passage. But let me pray for us as, as we come to this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for these words. We thank you that your words are living and active. And we do pray that you will speak to us words of comfort, but also words of judgment, that we might once again look at our hearts um, and, and, and sharpen it, uh, Lord, that we might live our lives in a way that, uh, that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A while back, I went to a small group gathering um, that helped people to meditate. The leader told us to close our eyes and uh, drown out all the noises, noises from the world, noises from our own heads, um, and to really concentrate on listening um, to God's voice. And there are many, many good things about that afternoon. But one thing did bother me. The leader also said, uh, told us what God would say. He said, actually, that God would tell us that how much he loves us, how much he values us, how precious we are to him. 
And I thought to myself, well, I mean, how does he know what God would say to me? How does he know uh, what God would say to anyone? Now, God does love us, of course. And if we want to hear that from God, we can close our eyes and meditate. And God sometimes speaks in extraordinary ways. But, as someone has said, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. I mean, it's a silly thing, but it makes a point. We need to hear from God primarily through the Scripture. And the reason why is very important. Because the Scripture isn't just about words of love and encouragement. The Scripture gives us words of warning, words of judgment. And Psalm 50 is an example of that. Psalm 50 reminds us that God isn't just this loving uncle who always brings us gifts, never rebukes us. Psalm 50 reminds us of who God is. As most of you know, one of the most popular gods in Hong Kong is Guan Yu, uh, the famous general who's known for his righteousness and loyalty. Uh, he's often pictured with the, you know, the red scary face and he always carries a sword. And the reason why is because he's associated with righteousness. And when he comes, he comes with the sword because often bringing righteousness involves bringing the sword to make things right. And the way the psalmist pictures God in Psalm 50 is a little bit like that, except that he's not one among many gods. He's not a great man who's been deified. He's the one and only God, of course. I mean, take a look at verse 1, how he describes God, mighty one, God, the Lord. He's God, the Lord, the mighty one. He's sort of uh, trying to describe the the, the mightiness of God. And look at what he summons in verse 3. He summons everyone, the whole earth, verse 3, everything from uh, the rising of the sun to where he sets. Verse 4, he summons the heavens. He has the power to say, heavens, you come and watch what I'm about to do. And verse 3, look at what happens when God appears. When he comes, a fire devours before him. A tempest rages. I mean, if you think about the universe... And where earth is, earth is just a tiny little speck in the whole entire universe. Imagine this earth, God coming down to earth, the creator of the whole universe, the one who is glorious coming down to earth. How could the earth, how could the earth handle God's glory? Well, partly in the Old Testament, it tries to describe and it tries to tell you that it can't. When God comes... The earth trembles, the volcanoes erupt, the the tempest rages because God of glory is appearing. And that's how God appears often in the Old Testament. And look at the reason why he comes, verse 6. The heaven becomes a witness to his righteousness. The heavens say, God is the righteous one, the one who can judge. Or he is the God of justice, or as ESV puts it. He, he himself is judge. It's a scary scene. I wonder if you've ever asked God to come to you, to appear before you. Is this the kind of God that you'd imagined? And it gets even scarier. Look at whom he summons in verse 5. The people who are consecrated, the people who made a covenant with them by sacrifice. 
It's people like us. Verse 7, he says, I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. He says, he summoned the heavens and the earth and everything in between. And he summons now us. And he says, I will testify against you, my people. I am your God. And this is scary, partly because he's not just a judge. He's the plaintiff. He's the one who's bringing the complaints. He's the one who's been wronged. And he's not just a plaintiff here. He's the prosecution. He's the one who's bringing the witnesses. And as we have seen, he is the judge. All the power is with him. That's who God is. Friends, Psalm 50 reminds us that God is our judge. That God is God. He's not just some tiny little thing that we we can mess with. That's not all he is, that God is the judge, but that's an essential part of who God is. And if you're a visitor, or even if you're coming regularly, often Christians don't like to hear that God is a judge. Because often in our modern days, we think ourselves superior to God, don't we? We often say things like, how can God do this? How can I believe in God who does this? How can I believe in God who believes in such an outdated moral code? We stand in judgment against God. We think somehow God is this small God that we can say, I don't want him. I don't, I don't need him. Friends, if you view God like that, of course he's not worthy of worship. But the God of the Bible is not like that. The God of the Bible is this glorious God whom the earth cannot handle. He's the righteous one in whom is perfection and goodness. He is God who's worthy of our worship. And that's who we've come to worship today. It's often quoted, uh, and and I'm I'm sorry, I've quoted this many times, but I can't think of any better illustration um, than this uh, and how Mr. Beaver describes Aslan, the God figure in the Chronicle of Narnia. Remember what Mr. Beaver says about Aslan? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king. He's the judge. And he is our God, whom we've come to know. And God says he will begin his judgment with his people. And he begins his judgment by telling us what he will not judge us for. Verse 8. He won't fault them for their religiosity, for keeping up the rituals. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. You might know the Israelites had to bring all these sacrifices, thank offerings and uh, burnt offerings and sin offerings, bulls and goats and, and grain offerings of all sorts. of uh, all sorts. Now, they were religious about that. Uh, these sacrifices were continued. To, uh, they, were, uh, they were always before him, constantly before him. And yet, if you glance down to verse 22, the same God says, but you've forgotten me. How can they forget God even as they bring their sacrifices to God? Well, if you look at what God says between verses 9 to 13, it makes you wonder whether they ever knew God. 
Verse 9, God says that there, he never needed these sacrifices. After all, everything in the world, every animal in the world is his. He doesn't need have these sacrifices. He can go anywhere. And surprise, verse 13, God doesn't get hungry. He says, I don't drink the flesh of these bulls or, 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 the, or the blood of, of, of the goats. It's not like, you know, in Hungry Ghost Festival, we put food out, right? He's not like Guan Yu or like, you know, we put food out for God. God is not like that. God doesn't depend on food. And to think that God does is to reduce God, to misunderstand God, to not know God at all. That's how they forgot God. Even as they were bringing their sacrifice, they didn't actually consider who God was. These weren't, they weren't worshiping the God who made the whole world, the God who controls the whole world, the God who sustains them, who has provided them with everything that they needed. And that's what he says, really. Why do they need to bring these sacrifices in the first place? Well, take a look at verse 14 to 15. Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call me in the days of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. You see, these sacrifices weren't bad. They were commanded to bring these sacrifices of thanksgiving and fulfill their vows to the Most High. But as they were bringing these sacrifices, at the heart of it, whatever sacrifices they were bringing, thanksgiving had to be at the heart of it. Thanksgiving. You see, if they considered who God is just for a minute, they would have realized that God doesn't need this. That in fact, the, 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 the sacrifices and the temple and all of this was God's way of providing for them. God's way of giving them a, a way to maintain their relationship with Him. They would have brought thanksgiving for having a relationship with Him. They would have brought thanksgiving as they brought the sin offerings for forgiving their sins. They would have brought thanksgiving as they considered the salvation that they received. They would have brought their thanksgiving for the bulls and the goats and the uh, doves as they were bringing it that God had provided for them. They would have brought their thanksgiving if they considered who God was. If they had a relationship with God. But they didn't, even as they were bringing these sacrifices. They thought that God needed them. We don't often think that, I mean, we don't think that God, we don't feed God in this way as Christians. We don't have a festival where we go, let's put food out for Yahweh God, right? But we do think sometimes that God needs us that God depends on us. You might have heard of St. Teresa of Avila's quote, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion onto this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are, you are, the, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. And now this is absolutely true. We are the body of Christ. We are the main way, the primary way through which God blesses and changes the world. And as we've uh, heard last week, to, 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 to showcase and to bring, the, uh, to make the world better. But it's not true that God needs us. It's not true that God needs us. 
Remember Jesus saying to the Jewish uh, people, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up the children for Abraham. God chooses to work through us. It's a privilege that God has given that we can participate in what God wants to do throughout the world. But it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be any of us. God can bring someone else to faith and bring them to church. God can bring uh, others. Uh, God can use rocks as agents of his change, his will. Friends, do you think, I mean, do you, uh, do you treat God as if you don't know him, as mere creatures, a mere creature who depends on us. Somehow, we get up in the morning on Sundays and we, we kind of think, well, I should do God a favor by going to church and praising him. As we offer our gifts, we somehow think, you know, we, we tithe and we offer our gifts and we, we think, well, I mean, if I don't do this, then how can God work? Somehow, when the, the Bible reading, somehow that's for, for God. <laughs> All the stuff that we do for God, that God needs us. No. That's why people put food out for Guan Yu and for other uh, gods. Because he needs them as, they need, as much as they need him. But that is not who we worship. That's not us. We come, or we ought to come, because God has saved us. Because God has given us everything that we needed. Because, uh, because uh, he has provided for us. Uh, because we have this re- amazing relationship with him and we want to get to know him better. That's why we ought to come with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts. Friends, if we do things to manipulate God, to make him owe us something, you don't know God and God says he will judge you. Because even as you come to church, even as you read your Bible and do your good works, God will say, I don't know you because you never knew me. You never considered who I was, who I am. Because to be in relationship with this God is to know him as our creator, our sustainer, our savior, our provider, our judge, this great God. That's what it means to be in relationship with him, to give our lives as living sacrifice because he has given himself to us and has saved us. Is that why you've come today? In this message, I mean, this, uh, this psalm, he highlights another kind of sin. Verses 16 and on. Sin of hypocrisy. God promises judgment against all those who say the right things but do not do them. Again, these are church-going people. Take a look at verse 16. These are the people, these are people who recite the laws or repeat the covenants. These are people like us today. I mean, if you were here at 1045, you renewed your baptismal covenant. You said that you would continue to meet with people, read the Bible, and encourage people. You said all those things. But actually... What you said, sometimes some of us, it doesn't make any difference in how we live our life. These are people who can recite the creeds, know the nuances of Calvinist theology or whatever. But look at verse 17. They hate God's instruction. What they do is entirely different from what they say. 
In the words of Shema, Shema is one of the most important part of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, Lord is one. And then it says, you, you ought to get these words and you have to bind it in your hearts. You have to uh, put it on your forehead, bind them in your foreheads. But with these people, they say these words, but instead of putting these words to their hearts and feed and, and, and hands and into action, they put them behind them. They forget about them. When they go on Monday to their work, their lives are completely compartmentalized. They live with no reference to what they've said on Sundays. Take a look. They join in with uh, the liars, uh, the adulterers, and, and, and the thieves. We have renewed our baptismal vows today. But what we say, well, that's just part of it. To be in relationship with God, it means to not only have our words be transformed, but our lives be transformed. And we forget sometimes how important living this life is for God because sometimes we live a life of hypocrisy. We say all these things, but we don't do any of these things, and there's no consequence. We do bad things, but nothing bad happens to us. And we think to ourselves like this as they did in Psalm uh, 50, Psalm uh, 50 verse 21, that God is like us. That God sees all these evil things, but God's like us. He he won't do anything about it. He doesn't really care what we do, that God is just like us. But friends, that is not true. And the warning is very clear in Psalm 50. You see, he was simply, he is simply being patient as Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is being patient and not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, the Chronicle of Narnia pictures God as a lion. And for many, many different reasons, you know, majestic uh, power and all those things. And he pictures uh, God as a lion here. But you know, sometimes lions, you can imagine this, right? Uh, the little bitty animals are playing in front of the lion and he won't do anything. He just lets them be for a bit. But then when he gets up, look at what he does. I will tear you to pieces. This is an image of lion coming in the day of judgment. I'll tear you to pieces, he says, with no one to rescue you. When God comes as our judge... If we're not in Christ, we're not in living relationship with Christ. If our words are just words, that that makes no difference in the way that we live. Well, no one, no one, not any of us, not me, not anyone can rescue you from the judgment of God himself. As a pastor, though, I do want to encourage you. Because as I see Shatin Church, I don't see a whole bunch of hypocrites I do see many, many people who's, who, who really want to match their words with their life, with their actions. And people who live their lives in thanksgiving and praise to God. I mean, in many ways, hypocrisy is, it's never acceptable. But it is uh, inevitable because we're all sinners. But we, I do see many of you trying, and, and thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much uh, for the privilege of, as, as if, uh, of, for, for, uh, for me to be your pastor for 10 years. Thank you so much. And many of you do really inspire me to live my life better and differently. So thank you. 
And for those of us who know, for those of you who know Jesus as your Savior in this way, who live in living relationship with Him, you have nothing to fear. You know, in Chronicle of Narnia, Aslan is never feared by his friends. They run to Aslan because that the day of rescue has come. The one that they are longing to, uh, for, for, uh, longing for his coming has come. And that's our relationship with God for most of us here, right? Verse 15, call me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Verse 23, those who sacrifice thank offering honor me and to the blameless I will show my salvation. But as it was baptismal Sunday, uh, it's right to renew, right to review our relationship with him, isn't it? I'm no Hebrew scholar, but commentators tell me that that the context of this setting, the setting of this psalm is at the temple, at the covenant renewal ceremony. That's why some say in verse 5, the verse that says, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, it can be also translated, apparently, as who are about to make a covenant with me, who are about to renew their covenant. It makes sense, right? As they come to the temple to renew their covenant, that they should review uh, what their relationship with God is like, why they do the things that they do, and how they're going to live their lives. It's certainly appropriate for us today, on our baptism Sunday, to review and renew our vows to him and we have all the more reasons to come to jesus to renew our relationship with him don't we because if you think about it in the old testament they knew god as their judge as their prosecutor um, as their accuser and even the plaintiff but we also know god as the one who was executed for us who now stands in the defense box as our defense and say, you, you, Niels, you, Brian, you are mine. We know him as our defender. Israelites knew God uh, uh, through these sacrifices. They knew forgiveness of sins through these sacrifices of animals. We know the true cost of the sacrifice, the true, true cost of forgiveness. God's son, Jesus, his blood shed for us. They knew, they had this relationship with God through these priests, through intermediators. We have this intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who testifies, who prays and intercedes on our behalf. Israelites knew the God of Exodus, the God of great deliverance who took them out of Egypt. We know deliverance from sin. We know deliverance from death that nothing can separate us. We know of the sure, sure we, sh- we know of the certainty of the new world that is coming, the salvation that will come to the whole world. To the blameless, I will show my salvation. We also know that there is only one person who has ever lived that blameless life. His name is Jesus, but Jesus calls us his own. And we can know that, we can surely know the fullness of that salvation through him. So, on this Baptism Sunday, let's go to God. Let's renew our relationship with him again. And let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence and joy. And let's pray and renew our relationship with him. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you now we are your people through him. We thank you that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. But Lord, help us through the power of your spirit to know you more, to know you deeper, to live our lives as a living sacrifice to you, as a a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Through the power of your spirit, help us to match our words with the way that we live. And Lord, we pray that our confession will make a difference in how we work, how we treat our family, our friends, how we live our lives Monday through Saturday as well. Lord, not only for our sake, but for the world's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.